The following Taisho by Shinge Roshi, Roko Sheri Shayet, was recorded at Daibosatsu Zendo Kangoji in the Catskill Mountains. This recording is part of a series on the Mumukan, the Gateless Gate Koan Collection. They are offered for free. We welcome your financial support. To contribute and for further information, please visit www.zenstudies.org or www.zencenterofsyracuse.org. Thank you. Mumonkan, Case 6. The Buddha holds up a flower. When Shakyamuni Buddha was at Mount Vidrakuta, he held up a flower to the assembly. No one responded except for Mahakashapa, who broke into a broad smile. The Buddha said, I have the true Dharma eye, the marvelous mind of nirvana, the true form of the formless, and the subtle Dharma gate, independent of words and transmitted beyond doctrine. This I now entrust to Mahakashapa. Mumon's comment. Golden-faced Gotama really disrespected those who had gathered there. He debased the noble ones and sold dog flesh as sheep's head. He himself thought it was fine. If everyone in the audience had smiled, how would the true Dharma eye have been transmitted? If Kashapa had not smiled, how could he have been entrusted with it? If you say the true Dharma eye can be transmitted, then that golden-faced old man with a loud voice deceived simple villagers. If you say that it cannot be transmitted, then why was Kashapa alone approved? Mumon's verse. Holding up a flower the tail of the snake reveals itself. Kashapa breaks into a smile. No one on earth or in heaven knows what to do.
This morning we celebrated Daibosatsu Day. On July 4th, 2011, Daibosatsu Zendo will be 35 years old. Throughout this monastery's infancy, adolescence, young adulthood, it has experienced plenty of growing pains, plenty of struggles. In our usual way of thinking, we think struggles, bad, I don't want it, but I think all of us sitting here today know how necessary struggles are to the deepening and maturing of the practice here. Now, new changes are upon us. And whether we like them or not, we must meet them bravely as each one of you is doing just by being here really being here with all your heart attending session to meet the challenges of maturing in the dharma putting one foot in front of the other with a spirit of great men, truly saying, okay, I will do whatever is necessary and give my wholehearted support so that DBZ will continue for generation upon generation, offering incomparable Dharma joy on this remote and wondrous mountain. This session will commemorate Master Rinzai's day on the fifth day, April 6th, and Shakyamuni Buddha's birthday on the last day, April 8th. On this part of planet Earth, Snow and ice remain. The trees 
our stool bare. Nevertheless, we can sense spring's arrival. The days grow longer. The sun glides over the mountain earlier in the morning and casts its golden light in the evening later and later. In Syracuse, we had 175 inches of snow since Rohatsu began. Yet, bravely and strongly pushing up through the snow are tulip shoots and daffodil buds. And here on the mountain, we've had bitter cold and plenty of snow and days of melting and mud and the lake thawing and freezing again. Two geese arrived the other day and Fujin said she saw one of them turn to her spouse as if to say, See, I told you it was too early. You never get it right. We should have stayed in New Jersey. Nevertheless, we can hear these early birds. We can feel the surging of spring breaking through the stiffened ruts, our hardened habits. Seshing mind, we're here to feel this revitalization, to let the energy regenerate and to melt into this. One of my oldest students, she goes back to the early days of Hoenji when we met in my attic, took precepts after recovering from a brain tumor, keenly aware of the fact of death. I gave her the Dharma name Eshun, which means everlasting spring. Now, ten years later, she has metastatic brain cancer. So just before coming here, I met with her and her daughters to plan her funeral. 
She's ready. True readiness. Opening into this everlasting spring. And another student who had had a bout with breast cancer a couple of years ago just emailed me before session started. Another node has been found. And then another student yesterday emailed me. Endometrial cancer. And Jumpo, who was vice abbot here many years ago, also just emailed me some severe health problems related to his cancer treatment. This practice ready to die. this readiness, realizing it continues and continues. Birth, death. We're here to look into this matter, to plunge into the darkness and to trust Atatipa. You are the light. To witness from afar the agonizing disaster of earthquakes, tsunami, radiation in Japan. Entire towns wiped out. No trace of anyone. No one even to record the missing. And to be here, to offer ourselves completely chant with Nen each day sending our profound care and realizing that this intensive mind spans time and space. There's no distance between us. Many people in America have spoken with great admiration for the people of Japan, how they've been dealing with this terrible tragedy such generosity sharing whatever resources there may be 
in this crisis. Selfishness is gone. There are so many stories about this. One, a restaurant had only 10 bowls of noodles and 50 people lined up. So the first 10 got their bowls and shared with everyone else. Everyone ate. Another of my elderly students, a Japanese woman who nearly starved to death as a child during World War II, later married an American and came to this country. And after the March 11th earthquake and tsunami, she was interviewed by our local newspaper. And she spoke of gaman, patience, perseverance, to do one's best and march on no matter what. As many of you know, March 11th was Soen Roshi's death day, and we held commemoration for him on that day here. And I thought, it's like he was saying, Shujo Mohen Segando. I'm here for you. I will help you cross to all those many, many thousands who lost their lives. On March 10th, 1945, in commemoration of the multitudes killed in the massive air raid over Tokyo, Soen Roshi wrote this haiku. Ryo sho no hinoko hitonoko minakuni. Early spring spirits spark up into emptiness. Last Mandala Day at Hoenji, we held an interfaith service for Japan, and among the guests was a Sikh master who read an email he had just received from a young woman in Japan. And she wrote, There has been so much fear going around that my heart is aching. When we start to see the world with fear, we forget to see the important things in life. Every moment is precious. Every moment is the only gift we have. And we simply cannot afford to waste it all on fear-filled despair. A friend who is now living in the evacuation center told me how important it is to smile 
and that his smile seemed to heal people around him. He lost his house. He doesn't know what his future will be, but he still remembers to smile. Some may say it's not right to smile or laugh during this time, but I really respect the power of his courage. Not only smile, we must retain our humor too. In Japanese, humor is translated as to laugh in spite of. Today, people everywhere are talking about nuclear radiation. It could get in the air, the soil, the food. People are holding themselves with such dark, scared faces. So I went around giving the biggest smile and saying, It's a sunny day today. They smiled back. And I'm sure some might have thought I was crazy, but I saw beauty in their smiles. So much better than scary faces. On my walk back home, I saw a beautiful flower. We have tried to use all our merits and even nature's energy for our own benefit, and that has created all this scarcity and madness. All of us can now try to run away from radiation. But what of this flower? I bent down to the flower and just felt moved to say, I'm so sorry. So today's case, Shakyamuni Buddha was at Mount Rudrakuta and he held up a flower to the assembly. No one responded except for Mahakashapa who broke into a broad smile. The Buddha said, I have the true Dharma eye, the marvelous mind of Nirvana, the true form of the formless, and the subtle Dharma gate, independent of words and transmitted beyond doctrine. This I now entrust to Mahakashapa. Shakyamuni Buddha, as you all know, was a prince named Siddhartha Gautama of the Shakya clan in northern India, now southwest Nepal, born around 565 BCE. He was 29 years old when he left his protected and indulged life and began his spiritual quest. Triggered by the shock of encountering illness, old age, and death, why this suffering? Does everything fade away? Is nothing permanent? 
can I rely on? This sharp experience of impermanence was the essential catalyst as it is for us all. I'm sure each of us has a vivid memory of that moment in childhood when we were struck by the realization that everything passes away. Eknath Eswaran puts it, it is this awareness of death that brings life into clear focus. So determined to understand the nature of suffering and the way to liberation, Gautama Shakyamuni spent six years devoting himself to self-mortification and all manner of ascetic practices and finally realized that extremes, whether the extreme of pleasure, palace life, or the extreme of asceticism, were not the way. He replenished his starving body and sat down, saying, I will not move from this spot until I have fully understood true reality. Here we are. We've all had our own shocks. And to one degree or another, our lives have brought us to this point of desperation. And desperation is a necessary point How tempting it is to fall back into complacency, which is another way of saying to ignore the habitual patterns that bring suffering to us and everyone around us, that keep us locked in the old ruts, the rigid structures that we've come to think are our identity. We need to feel desperate in order to break through. Desperation is the motivation. The saying goes, necessity is the mother of invention. And I think desperation is the mother of practice. Otherwise, 
We just keep blaming others for our own karma, creating new negative karma with each self-justifying thought, word, and deed. The point of desperation is the point where we can acknowledge our karma. It allows us to say with deep sincerity all the evil karma ever committed by me since of old. On account of my beginningless greed, anger, and folly, born of my body, mouth, and thought, I now confess and purify them all. In morning meetings during interim and kese, we've been reading Eda Roshi's points of departure. And in one point he says, we have a painful leg. We are lucky to have a painful leg or sleepy mind or stiff shoulder or low blood pressure. All these bodily things we still have because so-called death has not yet come to us. While we are living, we can practice move for self-realization and also, this is very important, also to purify our karma. Then he says, within X years, we will all successfully die. No one will fail. Nobody will fail. But that's not the end. The body may decay, but karma continues. And with appropriate conditions, it will be reborn, not born, but formed in a different form, a different situation, a different name, but carrying the karma. Our practice can be defined as purifying the karma, shifting the direction of the karma. Gotama completely dedicated himself to this shift. He did not move for eight days, far longer than the span of one Taisho. On the eighth day, looking up, 
and seeing the morning star. He fully realized his true dharma eye, the marvelous mind of nirvana, the true form of the formless, the subtle dharma gate. He became Buddha and went on to teach the Four Noble Truths. Suffering, its origins, cessation, the Eightfold Path, and many important sermons from Mount Rudrakuta, which means Vulture Peak or Eagle Peak because of the shape of the top of that mountain, looking like that bird's head. Today's case isn't found in any of the Sanskrit sutras, but in a Chinese compilation. So he comes to address the assembly. Now, most of the people who were gathered there had already heard him speak many times and had some familiarity with his teachings. So they eagerly awaited his words, wanting to add to what they had already stored up. This wanting, this desire, give me something. Tell me about the truth. Teach me how to live a good life. It's quite natural. We all start out thinking, there must be some knowledge out there that we can attain that will bring us understanding, that will make our lives better. But the best teachers are those that deprive us of what we want. They don't add accretions, layers, to what we're already carrying around. They take away. Indeed, they go away, whether we like it or not. Master Rinzai put it, all we teachers can do is to cure diseases and to untie bonds. To loosen the bonds of acquisition and spiritual materialism. To cure the illnesses that stem from ignorance. It basically boils down to this. Stop ignoring. Start attending. 
star. Flower. Snowflake. Sunlight on the branches. Millions. We've seen over and over and over. We've heard the dripping of icicles in the afternoon sun countless times. Each morning, the sun has risen. All the years of our lives, each evening, the sky darkens. Whether we notice or not. On a recent afternoon, I walked down to the bridge. The water was rushing, really roaring from the lake down underneath the bridge to the stream. It sped along turning first this way and that, embraced by one small snowy peninsula and then another shimmering in the sun, coursing over the stones. So many times I have stood there When Shakyamuni Buddha looked up and saw the morning star, because of his vow to awaken, he saw the star. For the first time, it glittered. He glittered. There was no difference between them. Despite billions of light years that, in conventional terms, separated them, to attend. To awaken has nothing to do with conventional reality. The Buddha stood before the assembly and said not a word. Simply held up. Why? Was it a special flower that he had selected ahead of time to convey his wordless teaching? I don't think so. 
Most likely, it was just an ordinary, so-called ordinary flower growing nearby. That saw Buddha and was seen by Buddha. One vibrant. There's a koan that goes, in the myriad forms, a single body is revealed. Holding up this flower, this single body, no one sees it except one person. Buddha's longtime disciple, Mahakashapa, the great Kashapa, who has devoted himself to deep and serious practice without a moment of hesitation, unwavering. Once Shunyu Suzuki Roshi was asked how to practice, and he said, just don't wobble. Here we are, devoting ourselves to sitting absolutely still in rapt attention to the unfolding of this moment. purifying our karma, expecting nothing, continuing this way, without wavering, without wobbling. Then we can see all the myriad forms around us, ceaselessly teaching us and can deeply feel outer phenomena, inner essence, one. Yogen Senzaki said of the Buddha's assembly, everyone was silent Yes, apparently silent, but each mind was filled with commotion. Each was bewildered by thoughts about what the teacher meant. Mahakashapa, the chief disciple, was the only one who was in real silence. He entered into the inner realm, the Buddha's realm. He smiled innocently like a happy child. The original Chinese says his serious features crinkled into a smile. So why that smile? Yamakawa Roshi once told us in a Taisho here about offering flowers at Shogenji where there's an altar that has a statue that shows the Buddha holding up a flower. 
And Yamakaro Roshi said, I offered the flowers and prayed. At this, I understood the reason why Maka Kasho, Kashapa, smiled. It was simple. It was because the flower smiled. The Japanese kanji character Saku to bloom is also read Wara'u to smile. The flower that Buddha held up was blooming, which also means smiling. Makakasho saw the flower and smiled, and Buddha smiled too. They all smiled together. End quote. It all happened in one moment. Buddha, flower, smile, transmission. There was no sequence. There was nothing given. There was no giver. There was no one to receive. Yet, the Buddha said, I have the true Dharma eye, the marvelous mind of nirvana, the true form of the formless and the subtle Dharma gate, independent of words and transmitted beyond doctrine. This I now entrust to Mahakashapa. This is the story of the first Buddhist transmission, the first transmission of the Dharma. And being a story, it uses words. But if we think the Buddha gave Kashapa something, if we think Kashapa smiled because he got something, lost in the darkness of ignorance. Buddhist transmission is nothing short of direct identification. In So-san Zenji's poem, The Third Ancestor's Poem on Believing in Mind, He says, in the higher realm of true suchness, there is neither self nor other. When direct identification is sought, we can only say not to. In being not to, all is the same, all that is comprehended in it. The wise in the ten quarters, they all enter into this absolute reality. This absolute reality is beyond quickening time and extending space. For it, one instant is 10,000 years. Whether we see it or not, it is manifest everywhere. Transmission is, as the saying goes, like pouring water from one vessel 
into another exactly like it. Holding up a flower, the Buddha manifested everywhere. The flower manifested everywhere. But in that assembly, only Kashapa was not too. Seeing the flower with one mind, instantaneously he received Buddha's one mind. His smile was none other than the flower's smile. Smile itself was the transmission confirmed right then and there. The Buddha spoke to the assembly now using words for those who were depending on words and phrases, basically saying, hey, you missed it. But here's one who got it. did he get? What is there to get? True Dharma eye, marvelous mind of nirvana, true form of the formless, subtle Dharma gate. Absolutely nothing. That is, nothing extra. And absolutely everything that is nothing lacking. But as we know, the moment words are used, concepts arise and we become dependent upon them and create doctrinal thinking about them, and before we know it, this nothing becomes an ism, Buddhism. What about if we just listen with our inner mind and heart to those words in our own zazen? What about if we make of them a deeply personal mantra? True Dharma I. Marvelous mind of Nirvana. True form. Next moment, we may be caught up in 
some kind of analyzing or evaluating. And so Mumun, in his comment, jabs at us. Are you depending on this guy? He says, golden-faced Gautama really dis disrespected those who had gathered there. Golden-faced, Chakmuni's face was said to be golden, probably because of his inner light, but also maybe coloration. Anyway, Mumon is speaking about him in a way that doesn't elevate him, just poking at him from a place of deep intimacy. Hey, you of the golden face, where's your respect for the assembly? You disregard their need for explanations, disrupt their expectations. Then Uman goes on. He debased the noble ones and sold dog flesh as sheep's head. He brought those of elevated status, his followers, down from their lofty perch. They thought they were ardent students taking mental notes of everything he said over the years, especially Ananda. They thought, ah, oh, they were admirably advanced in their understanding. Yet here they are being debased, brought low by a flower, by one silent gesture. They don't get it. So Mumo wants to know, hey, Gautama, are you saying that only Mahakashapa has Buddha nature? Thus keeping us from being misled, scolding Buddha. He upholds Buddha. He sold dog flesh as sheep's head. He's saying Buddha tricked his audience. He stood up to teach, and they expected some tasty treat. Evidently, sheep's head was considered a tasty treat. Nowadays, fine restaurants are serving things like head cheese, so sheep's head like that. But what they got instead was something very common, dog flesh, bait and switch. He himself, Buddha himself, thought it was fine. Most common, most precious, a simple flower is it. Dog flesh is it. Sheep's head is it. Pristine snow is it. Mud is it. Nonsense said. Ordinary mind is the way. Basso said, this very mind is Buddha. And Umon answered the question, what is Buddha? 
Kanjiketsu. Shit wiping stick. So then Numon asks us, if everyone in the audience had smiled, how would the true Dharma eye have been transmitted? If Kashapa had not smiled, how could he have been entrusted with it? Fundamentally, it has always and already been transmitted. Sentient beings are primarily all Buddha. How could it depend on anyone? Get it? Always transmit it. Don't get it? Already transmitted. And then he asks, if you say the true Dharma eye can be transmitted, then that golden-faced old man with a loud voice deceived simple villagers. If you say that it cannot be transmitted, then why was Kashapa alone approved? Mumon is challenging us directly to see directly. That golden-faced old man, Buddha, the loud voice, his silent teaching resonating through the ages, is deceiving us if we take his words literally, that it can be transmitted, that there is an it, a transmitter, and a receiver, as in audio equipment. Again, testing us to see if we are caught by deceptive, logical reasoning. He asks, if you can say it cannot be, if you say it cannot be transmitted, then why did Buddha give Kashyapa his mind seal? What was his approval based on? This sacred tradition of transmission from teacher to disciple down through the ages, if there is anything that can be qualified or quantified, sheer deception. Truth the Buddha says in the Diamond Sutra, is uncontainable and inexpressible. It neither is nor is it not. Or as Yamakaro, she put it, there is just this smiling together, the transmittance of non-transmitted. Bumon's verse. Holding up a flower, the tail of the snake reveals itself. Kashapa breaks into a smile 
no one on earth or in heaven knows what to do. The Buddha holds up a flower. What is this flower? Does it come into existence and then fade and die? Again, in the Diamond Sutra, the Buddha tells us that Tathagata neither comes from anywhere nor goes to anywhere. Flower, birthless, deathless. Holding this flower, he shows himself to all beings without exception, completely revealed, head to toe. The tail of the snake reveals itself. In other words, what we think is hidden or under a mask is right here. It's all being Revealed here, here. But as soon as we say that, as soon as we call it revelation or transmission, what? The masquerade continues. Kashapa breaks into a smile. What about you? Mumon concludes his verse, no one on earth or in heaven knows what to do. No one, however exalted, can parse this Flower, mine, mind, smile. So Roshi, perhaps, could, on April 8th, 1946, he wrote this haiku, which he considered his favorite. Hana no yo no hana no yo naru hito bakari. All beings are flowers blossoming in a flowering universe. 